0: This room has often been the site of joyful sounds, wonderful music, and this afternoon it will be so again as the Mobile Youth Symphony will be here. You are invited to come and enjoy that. It will be a treat, I promise you, and I hope you'll take advantage of it. Also, we have a new Sunday school class that's uh, starting up in our church, Covenant Class, they will meet in the Mac David Library, and uh, you're invited to be a part of that class if you are not attending Sunday school. Well, Trey did the best he could with the subject of fairness and unfairness. It's not an easy subject. That saga of fairness and unfairness is being played out in the life of our family even now. You see, our granddaughter is now walking. She is now playing with toys. And the toys that she most likes to play with are those that are claimed by her brother. So that whenever he lays down a plaything, she picks it up. He doesn't like that. And so he snatches it away from her. She doesn't like that. And so she cries and she grabs, and if that doesn't work... She does a 15 month old version of hitting. He doesn't like that. And so, if a grown up isn't present to intervene, he hits back. Of course, that is usually about the time when a grown up does notice and intervenes, gets involved, corrective action is taken. Restraint, timeout. An explanation as to why hitting his sister is not a good thing. But she's too young to realize all of this or to understand it. She just wants the toy. He's old enough to begin to understand it. He understands the part about adults thinking that hitting is not a good thing. He doesn't understand the explanation as to why that's not a good thing. Or either that or he just doesn't agree with it. His eyes, his face betray him. In his own wonderful two-and-a-half-year-old way, he says, it's not fair. She started it. She took my things. She hit me first. Why should I not be allowed to even the score? And so, it is the dawning of an awareness of unfairness. It is an awareness that will trouble him all his days. What is fair? Fairness, unfairness, what do they mean to you? From what, from whom do you expect fairness? From the law, from the legal system? Well, it depends historically upon the color of your skin as to whether you could expect fairness there. Nowadays, it depends to a large extent on the competence, the competence of your attorney. What about your family? Do you expect fairness there? Families are many things. Fair usually, not one of them. Well, what about the church? Fairness in the church? Why, in the larger sense of our history and in all of our worldwide iterations, we in the church are all over the map. In some cases, we are more than fair. We are kind, we are compassionate, we are generous, we are forgiving. And other times, we are downright cruel. Fairness? Do we expect it from life? Do we expect it from God? God? Someone has said that expecting the world to treat you fairly is like expecting a bull not to charge you because you are a vegetarian. The gospel lesson today tells of an encounter between Jesus and those who are concerned about fairness. They are looking for expecting some measure of fairness in life. Specifically, they are hoping that in the case of things patently unfair, there is at least an explanation or perhaps God might intervene and restore some measure of balance. In the first instance, Jesus is told of those Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with With their sacrifice. It is horrific inhumanity perpetrated by that tyrant Pilate, at whose hands Jesus will suffer injustice. A group suspected of terrorism is caught in the act of worship. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? And Pilate orders them slaughtered, mutilated, their own blood mingled with the blood of the sacrificial animals. It is an evil and unthinkable fate, the wicked act of a murderous bully, and God does not intervene to save them. Jesus doesn't wait for the obvious question to be asked. He launches into this whole matter of fairness and unfairness. You see, fairness would seem to dictate that God would do something for these who have suffered. So either that or they suffered because they deserved it. Jesus asked, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such? Of course, in that time and in that place, Galileans were suspect in the first place. They were generally thought of as sinners, unlawful, unruly kind of folks, given to irrational passions with a penchant for violence. And Jesus asked if these particular Galileans were worse than the rest, or indeed were they worse than those who came asking in the first place. Then Jesus says something that really turns things upside down. He says, no, they weren't any worse than the others, but I tell you that unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And then Jesus asks about another tragedy. People on whom the Tower of Siloam fell. The first instance is an act of brutality, a deliberate act of evil. The second is a random accident. And so Jesus asked if those who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time were predestined to be there because they were bad people so that the tower could fall on them. Were they worse than others living in Jerusalem? Now we're close to home. And Jesus says, no, but unless you repent, you will perish as they did. So where is the fairness in either of these? The question assumes that bad things ought not to happen to good people. The question assumes that God ought to prevent evil people from doing evil things to innocent people, and if things like that do happen, they must not have been innocent. The question assumes that God ought to order the world in such a way that good people don't have to suffer random tragedies. The question assumes that if God allows these things to happen, God must have some way of balancing the accounts, the scales, in the end. But there is no such assurance given in this text. Jesus goes so far as to say that if we don't repent, we will perish as they did. To perish is not simply to die, but to die needlessly. It is to die a meaningless, unnecessary death. So how are we to understand this repentance? From what are we to repent in order to avoid the fate of dying without cause or purpose? I cannot claim to know the answer. This is one of those hard sayings of Jesus. It requires a lot of reflection, and I invite you to ponder it for yourself. But it seems to me that the first and most obvious truth of this text is the acknowledgement that bad things do happen to good people and to bad people. And sometimes it's indiscriminate. There is plenty of suffering in this world. And it is true that sometimes we bring suffering upon ourselves. If we are reckless, then yes, we put ourselves in a position to suffer. Sometimes suffering happens at the hands of evil people. And sometimes it happens at the hands of negligent people. And sometimes it just happens. And it's no one's fault. I learned the other day that one of the people whose home was destroyed in the tornado that hit Beulah a couple of weeks ago was a woman who grew up in Grace Church, which I served for a while. I know the woman. She is a good woman. She didn't deserve this tragedy. It just happened. It seems to me that in light of the fact that tragedy is a constant in our world, repentance means several things. It means, first of all, it can mean that if I have suffered something truly terrible, then I am called to repent from an attitude of victimhood. I am called to turn away from thinking and feeling which says that I have been singled out and can never overcome what I've suffered. Now let me hasten to say that such repentance does not mean refusing to stand up for yourself when you need to stand up for yourself. It does not mean continuing to accept injustice. It does not mean keeping a stiff upper lip and not grieving Your losses. It means simply that I refuse to let my identity be centered in the things I've suffered. Think how Jesus suffered. How did Jesus deal with the cross? Well, he never forgot it, he never dismissed it. It was at the center of his life, both before and after the crucifixion, and certainly during the crucifixion. And yet Jesus never sought revenge. He never tried to get even with those of us who put him there. He chose to bless rather than curse all of us who inflicted that anguish upon him. Repentance means something like that, and it's hard, and it's unnatural, and it only comes by a work of grace. If repentance means not languishing as a victim, if I have suffered, it also means that if I haven't suffered... I should not assume that I am too good or too special or too blessed or too favored to suffer. I shouldn't imagine that my good fortune is somehow deserved. To repent in this case is to let go of the attitude that I am too special for anything truly bad to happen to me. It is to accept my place in the human family and to acknowledge my vulnerability. To repent, in this case, is not to assume any sense of special privilege, especially the kind of special privilege based on what I have or what I do or who I am. It is to acknowledge that I, too, am mortal. I, too, am frail. And I'm not that special as opposed to others. And finally, it seems to me that in the case of suffering, whether deserved or undeserved or just random, repentance means turning away from any notion that we might have that either we or others should suffer in isolation. That we should bear it alone. Now, it is true there are some hardships that we must bear ourselves and no one else can bear them for us. The choir sang a few weeks ago, I must walk this lonesome valley by myself or alone, I'm not sure the exact words, but something to that effect. And there are some things we must endure that others cannot endure for us. Yet we need not, we should not, we must not suffer in isolation. God calls us to be with one another in our times of hardship and adversity. I do not believe that God causes bad things to happen so that we will all get together. Bad things just happen, and we need to get together, and we need to help one another out. These are occasions when God teaches us how to love more purely and more fully. I mentioned that our family is learning some things in these days, and that is one of the things that we are learning, is how important it is to be supported. And what a blessing it is, what a source of strength it is to know that others are praying for us. You are giving Nell and me that gift, and I cannot tell you how valuable it's beyond words the difference that it is making and the truth is that the mystery of iniquity the mystery of evil the mystery of suffering is such that we can never sort it out the categories of fairness and unfairness just often don't apply Things just aren't necessarily fair according to our understanding of fairness. And there's much about life that is that way. (coughs) And at the center of our faith is this colossal breach of justice where the only true victim who ever lived, Jesus, is put to death. Not because of anything he did, but because of what we do. And he does it for our sake. And there's healing, there's salvation in that. That's not fair, that's grace. And that grace is mediated within the church when we are generous when we are kind, when we are compassionate. In these days when the church is struggling with these questions of who's in and who's out, who's welcome and who's not, I think God grieves. And God would call us to be kind, to be welcoming, to be compassionate. One of the things that I I, I truly believe is that there is enough suffering in this world without our adding to it. We don't need to make things worse. We need to make them better. And I have the proof that you know how to do it. And so I would pray that we would do it every opportunity we have. To show kindness. To be compassionate. And forget about fairness. Just do it. I pray that we will. I pray that we will. Amen. Our hymn is number 438. Forth in thy name, O Lord, let us stand and sing and let us go forth in the name of Christ.